Hey everyone, just want to give a quick thank you to everyone who's been leaving these amazing five-star reviews of the podcast on iTunes or really wherever you listen and can leave reviews. This week, I want to say thank you to Kabulas from the US. He says, excellent interviews, five stars. Johnny always has interesting guests and a great flow to his interviews. The show is great for anyone who's location-dependent or thinking about becoming location-dependent. Thanks again and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host. Johnny SD. Hey guys, it's Johnny and welcome to episode 175 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here with Christopher Dodd. Hello everyone. I'm excited to finally be on the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm excited to have you here. So if you guys aren't familiar with Chris, he is known as Chris the Freelancer on YouTube and he has one of the biggest channels that documents the digital nomad movement. Yep. So um started doing YouTube early last year and then that's grown into um, a blog and a podcast as well which we just did a podcast for um, my podcast as well so I'm basically trying to keep on top of everything digital nomad and create lots of content around that so how did you actually fall into this because you're you're originally from Australia what is your what was your journey like yeah well it's there's like a few parts to it and it can be a very long story so I'll try and make it as brief as possible but basically I was going down a path I did not want to go down. I was studying accounting at university and I didn't want to be an accountant, but I was just like, well, like, what am I, what else am I going to do? I'll go to university, get a job, follow the, the normal path. And, um, at some point I was like, oh, I'm not really working. Like, I'm not really going to work in this corporate environment. I don't want to be a corporate. So what was the alternative? I looked at startups and then let, that led me to looking into like kind of online, entrepreneurships and and entrepreneurship and web development and those concepts and then that led me to discovering the digital nomad movement and my first introduction to it was uh an article about the founder of nomad list peter levels and then i read his story and i was like oh my god like it just clicked for me in that instance and then i became obsessed with digital nomadism or whatever you want to call it and then, so, um, my girlfriend, I convinced my girlfriend to, to do like the kind of digital nomad lifestyle as well. And we both like transitioned out of, uh, previous careers into digital careers. I became a web developer and then she, um, went into digital marketing and then, yeah, saved up money, worked, worked hard at it in Australia and booked, uh, booked our flight like a year in advance. And we're like, we're going to do this. And then we set off January 2016. That's crazy that you actually created remote jobs, but stayed in your hometown and worked for that long, saved up money, pre-planned a year in advance before you embarked on the journey. Yeah, I'm a very pragmatic and realistic. I, I say realistic in inverted commas because I think, you know, sometimes we play it too safe, but I'm, I'm, I'm quite risk adverse and I knew that this kind of dream of a digital nomad lifestyle for me, uh, you know, it, it still felt like a kind of a dream and I wanted to make it as as likely as possible. So I looked into even choosing the path of being a web developer was like, okay, what's, what's a career I can get into that I can get into really fast that has the demand there that I can do from anywhere. And that was a big reason why, why I chose it. It was all very strategic and planned to sort of, choose the the most reliable path to becoming a digital nomad and um yeah part of the reason why we spent time at home and we didn't leave earlier was i had uh we had like commitments like university to finish i had a lease on the apartment but it was really good as well because i don't i think some people rush too quickly into it so i i've definitely met people who have said Johnny, I heard your podcast two weeks ago and I booked my ticket to Chiang Mai. <laughs> Here I am. Yeah. And I'm like, welcome. You know, what are you going to, what are you going to do? And they're like, I don't know. And yeah. I think 
I applaud them for having the balls to just jump and, and, you know, and go for it. But at the same time, the way that you did it is much smarter and there's a much high, like higher likelihood of success because you have an actual skill that you've developed, you know, whether it's web development or marketing or e-commerce or, you know, really whatever business it is. Yeah. If you can make it work at home and then have some income coming in before you, 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 you know, go abroad, your chances of succeeding long term are much higher. Yeah, I think it it can work for some people. Like Riley, who I think you've had on the podcast, he had a f- friend who he mentioned from New Zealand who saved up, I think, over a hundred thousand dollars, and then left and said, "I'm going to figure it out." But I mean, that is so much money, such a high, big runway, and he wanted to do everything online. I think he did Amazon FBA. He didn't need to be at home for that. So that for me, that makes a lot of sense. That's like a pragmatic way to do it. But for me, I was, I wasn't really looking at completely online business. I was looking at kind of, uh, using my skills and, and freelancing. So I definitely think that something that's underrated is using your location advantage. I call it the location advantage. Like if you're from a country like Australia or the US or Canada, you know, there's more opportunities where you are. And like pe- some people don't want to hire you remotely or maybe you can network or meet people and in, in your own network and find work that way and then build yourself as a professional that way until the point where you feel confident enough to sell your services online and then take that leap. Yeah. So it, it depends. I think for most people, yeah, I, I think that laying some foundations at home is a good idea for most people, yeah. I would imagine that, that for freelancing, it's a lot easier to get a good wage, like $25 an hour and up yeah. when you are still in Australia or the US or Canada and then start remo- you know, working remotely after you've had established clients, after yeah. you've built up your portfolio, than if you move straight away to Vietnam or something, even though you're Australian – a lot of businesses or people might not want to take that risk because they don't know, you know, your skill set. They don't know how good you are. So you naturally have to charge a lot less money to build that up. Yeah. It was a, it was actually a big wake up call to me because I, I guess if I made one mistake, it was I've invested a lot in skills and my career back home and not at all in selling myself online. So I was like, okay, why would I go on Upwork and compete with everyone when I can network at co-working spaces and, and get these big contracts where they're, they're not bargain hunting. I get paid like a good rate, like as a skilled worker. And I, my last contract was amazing for me. It was, it ended up being three months just before the date that I left. Good money, great team, full time. Everything was great. Then when I left, I was like, okay, I've got, I have a bit of savings. I got a bit of runway. I'm going to do the online freelancing and, you know, I'll just translate my skills into the online world. And it's tougher than I thought it was going to be, to be honest. And it's, that's what I say about like, it's a whole nother skill to like sell yourself online. And especially on Upwork, there's a lot of bargain hunters, like the, the culture in Australia for remote work isn't quite there yet. I mean, it's, it's, it's a culture shift that's happening globally, but especially I found like in the US, they're a bit more ahead of like with hiring remote people in Australia. Like even if your job can be done 100% remote and it makes perfect sense to do it from elsewhere, some companies will just be like, nah, 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 you have to be in the office. So like finding, I found some, a few good clients on, on Upwork and they're all from Australia and they just want to work with an Australian. And then those relationships are really good, but to find those is almost like a needle in a haystack. So it's, it's taken some time. And then that's advice I would give to anyone is like, if you can start to sell, like get some online work, even before you leave, the easiest thing in the world is, well, not easiest thing in the world, but like probably the most ideal is like you build your income to a point where it, your remote income, your location independent income to a point where you're happy with it. And then you kind of leave. But we kind of had that date and we were pushing ourselves so, and we had the savings. So we were like, let's take the leap now. Yeah. And by happy with it, I think that's a very loose definition because yeah. some, some people might think happy with it might be a hundred thousand dollars, which might take you, <laughs> you know, your whole life to get to. Yeah. But if you're moving to a cheap place like Chiang Mai, happy with it can be a thousand dollars a month. Yeah. Because you know, you can live a very good life for that. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's why, um, you know, my budget videos do really well. And I always talk about cost of living in places and try and paint a good picture for people. I know myself that it's hard to get a good answer sometimes with those things. Like you talk to anyone, it's like, oh yeah, go here. It's so cheap. Cheap is so relative. When when you've been like like us and been to so many different countries, cheap is so relative. And like what's cheap to us to compared to Australia is not what's cheap in Southeast Asia and what's not like a I don't know, somebody from Switzerland might think that US is cheap, you know, you just it's so relative, right? So that's why I spend a lot of time with the content I do kind of giving people a good sense of of how much the cost of living at is at certain places and definitely in, in Chiang Mai. I mean, we were talking about Chiang Mai earlier. It was like, it's just on another level in terms of um, affordability. <laughs> so you can definitely get by on, yeah, a few thousand or less. Yeah. So you did a video called six, you know, $600 a month or less. <laughs> it's called living under $600. Yeah. <laughs> and what's crazy that I, so I'm curious how you got that number because I remember that that's the number I've been throwing around mm. myself for like for a long, long time. Yeah. And the funny thing is the Thai bot has changed a lot in value. Okay. In the last five years, it used to be thirty to one or twenty eight to one to one US dollar, and then at this high point it was like thirty five, thirty six to one. So our money was worth a lot more. Uh, I see. And I remember just kind of because I lived off of six hundred dollars a month for like the first like six years or something else in Thailand, maybe five years. And that was kind of just like by accident. It wasn't, it wasn't that I had a $600 a month goal. Mm. It was just kind of like what I spent for like the cheapest place, eating cheap Thai food, you know, join a cheap gym, things like that. Yeah. So the story behind that video, a lot of people were asking about cost of living in Chiang Mai. And I'm like, I've talked about this before. I show you the prices in my videos, but it's, People really want to know. And it's, and it's such a hard question to answer as well because people have different spending habits. I actually met, met a, uh, we have a couple that we're friends with, Denise and I. They're from Australia. We've never met them in Australia, but we met them around out in Asia. And they were telling us like how much they spend. They spend more in Chiang Mai than they did in Melbourne on things. And we're just like, what the hell? <laughs> anyway, that's a bit of a tangent, but it just goes to show that like how like, how like the range like and then you know i've seen videos of people doing it for 200 but the the reason why the 600 came up is i was i was thinking about like i want to do had this idea to do a budget challenge and then i'd film everything and then people could get the sense of like i'll take them through a whole month they can get the sense of how much things cost and to be honest like uh your story was a big factor in it but i also went to google and i typed in like what's a budget there was a few different ones, but I saw the 600 number come up maybe a couple of times extra. And then so I just put your experience together with a few other people saying 600 is a good amount. And I just decided on 600. And I thought that was achievable for me because I was, I was very loose with my money and I was spending about a thousand a month. So yeah, I just chose that. And then as we saw in the video, it was pretty easy to stay under 600. And then now I'm wondering like, how did I even spend that extra 400, you know? Yeah. So Chiang Mai really is a cheap place to live. But it's funny that what you said earlier, where it's cheap is a relative term because yeah. everyone kept saying how cheap Grand Canary is. Yeah. And then we got here and we we're like, it's not that cheap. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's not expensive, but it's definitely not cheap. Yeah. It's, it's, it depends on who you talk to like i'm doing a lot of videos with nomad city right now which is an event here in las palmas and um one of the people i've met here who's involved in it is julie clark she has her company here from the u.s and she always talks about how cheap it is but she's thinking like oh i've spent all my time in philadelphia she's like from philadelphia i, th I believe and she's got that lens of like what things should cost in Philadelphia. And then she comes here and she's like, oh, wow, so cheap. Her team's never been to Asia because of the time difference. It just wouldn't make sense time zone wise. But, you know, you and I, like we spent a lot of time in, in Thailand. So that kind of like changes your perspective of what cheap is or what expensive is. Um, and as I was saying to you, as we were, we were walking here to the apartment is 
you know, I would describe the prices here as is just reasonable. Like this is what things should cost, in my opinion. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I think everything is a decent value. Yeah, nothing is out, like nothing is really outrageously priced. Like yeah. when I go to London or Australia or Hawaii, yeah, or you know Germany, and a taxi is. Forty dollars. I'm like that is outrageously priced. <laughs> yeah, like it shouldn't cost that much for a ten minute ride or twenty. Even a twenty minute ride should not cost forty dollars. And then in places like Chiang Mai or in Poland or in Ukraine, mm. a twenty minute ride might only be two dollars, and that's outrageously cheap. Like yeah. I'm like, wow, that's an amazing deal. But like it shouldn't be that cheap. Yeah. Here, I think it's a very good value. You're like, oh, it's a five dollar ride for twenty. You know, for for twenty minutes, that's a good value. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's funny how you're, as an individual, my perspective changed as well um, after leaving um, Chiang Mai. And definitely the my first stop was the UK after <laughs> Thailand. And then just seeing those was like a bit of a, like I prepared myself for it. Obviously, I knew things that were ridiculous in London. and um, But it's just like, it kind of, and then also like traveling a lot and dealing with different currencies is like, warps your perception as well. And um, it's a good experience for me when I do my reports at the end of the month and I actually convert the prices of things into US dollars and then I can compare it next to each other. And then oftentimes I'll find like, oh, I'm a little bit surprised. So it'll be interesting to see what it's like for Las Palmas when I do the report for here. But I think this is going to be another level on top of Eastern Europe as (laughs) as well. This might be the most expensive place I've spent a considerable time at. But again, I still feel like it's great value, you know? So I'm curious to, to see that report at the end of the month. Uh, I'm going to do one as well. But so far, what do we have? What are you paying for your accommodation? Uh, it's about 1,000 US. I think 1,100 US. And that's for 31 nights. Yeah, it's a studio apartment. We We love it. The only thing missing is air conditioning, but that's not a common thing in Plus Palmas anyway. And yeah, we have no complaints. Like, yeah, I'm really happy. Like, we're so close to the beach here that like I'll walk out. Actually, you walk out the door downstairs and you're on the on the on the promenade, the beachside promenade. So, I mean, yeah, if you're going to compare it to the Western world, that's like pretty damn good. Yeah. So I'm sitting in Chris's apartment right now. It's very nice, very modern, and it's it's literally on the beach. You know, it's like a one minute walk to the beach. So it's yeah. it's it's pretty much on the beach, and. We are two blocks away, so you know a two-minute walk away. Yeah, we are paying a thousand five hundred dollars a month, but it's okay. a two-bedroom, so it's a little bit less. But here's a caveat: is it's not it's not that easy finding monthly rentals ex- besides Airbnb. Yeah, and Airbnb is often overpriced. So mm. if you're staying here for a year and you're willing to you sign a year contract and you're willing to go through an agent or learn Spanish and you know, really find a place like a local, then it could be considered cheap. And that's, I think that's what people say. Like when people say Grand Canary is cheap, it, it normally means they are from the UK or, or somewhere in Europe yeah. and they're coming here for, they're moving here as an expat, yeah. living here for a year. Then, then I would say, yeah, I could see that being cheap. Yeah. Well, we got to understand like we're kind of the minority here and most people are that we, I guess, no outside of the nomad world are in the Western world, you know? And so this is cheap if you compare it to the Western world. Well, let's, so let's talk about food. So we just had lunch today and it was a night, like a nice place, you know, we, we sat outside, good weather. We had great food. We had ceviche and we've had, we had like poke, pokey, I guess. But this is the, like, I, I don't eat raw fish that often, and I don't think you do either. No, I'm, I'm, I was used to be allergic to fish, so I never quite acquired the taste. So, our bill, uh, for, you know, for us was about $20 per person. It was, it was like 18 euros or something, right? Yeah, I think the bill was 50, just over 50, maybe 53 euros. For, for, for three, three people, people, yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely not cheap because, yeah. you know, compared to, to Chiang Mai, a meal is like two or three dollars. But at the same time, we're not, you know, in Chiang Mai, you're not, you're not having ahi, ahi tuna and ceviche. Yeah. You know, you're just having like rice and chicken with some vegetables or something. Yeah, and you're sitting on like a plastic stool, and there's no walls to the restaurant and stuff like that, which is cool. I mean, 
some people would not do that at all. Like my mother, for example, she, she's like, so like, I, we were, we were having this conversation because I was with her uh, on a family holiday in Greece and we were all staying at nice accommodation, always went to the nice restaurants. And I'm like, don't you ever want to have an authentic travel experience? I feel like Thailand, it, 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 one of the, the sitting on the plastic stools and everything is like, it's, it has its purpose, like not just for being uh, inexpensive, but it's kind of, an, it feels authentic and it's great to be around the local people and, and, and the food is, you know, if they serve that in a fancy restaurant, you well, in a fancier restaurant, like with nice chairs and stuff, you'd be, you'd be happy with that as well. Yeah. Well, it's funny is in Chiang Mai, there are nice restaurants that, you yeah. know, you can sit down and have really good service. You can have white tablecloths if you wanted to. Yeah. But both of our favorite restaurant or place to eat yeah. is that random fried chicken lady. Oh, yeah. That is literally set up under a tree and we have leaves falling on your plate sometimes. Yeah. But the food is amazing and it's like, what, $2? Yeah. So I think mine usually came out to 60 baht, which I think the, that's like $1.80 US maybe. Yeah. That's like just over two Australian dollars. I think the exchange rate's 35 to one. Yeah. So for US. That's amazing. And so here you can obviously eat cheaper as well. But I would say on average, you're going to spend minimum five euros for, for, for even a basic meal. Yeah. One thing I really miss about Asia actually is proper street food because it's quick. Like if you're at the co-working space and you want to have a quick lunch, walk over there, eat, you're done. It's good. You come back. One of the things that is I've found, like I said, this place is pretty ideal. But the one thing that bothers me is like there's no like healthy fast food that I've found. And like all the fast, I guess, quick meals that you have are like sandwiches, basically. And you can pick them up for like a few euros, but it's like a small sandwich. It's nothing fancy. But like, you know, at co-working, see, I'm not packing my lunch. I just want to go out and have a quick, quick meal. And then I come back and then I go out and I'm like, where's just like a normal cafe or, or somewhere. And even in Eastern Europe as well, I like missed like just walking down the street, getting some street food and, and just, yeah, no, no bullshit about it. No going to a restaurant, having to sit down and then where's the bill, you know, all this stuff. Cause yeah, like I just, sometimes you just want a fast meal. Yeah, I, I definitely agree where, you know, I want to get back to work. I, I want to, I want to go out for 20 minutes, grab a bite, walk back. I'm done. I don't want to sit down for an hour having a me- proper meal. Yeah. And it's funny that when we had normal jobs, I'm sure we, we would love to have had long hour and a half lunches, you know, if we didn't get in trouble for it. But he, now that we're working for ourselves, we're like, no, no, let's just make it quick. Uh, actually, I can't really relate too much because I haven't spent a lot of time in the, in, in the, in the full time working world. I'm actually an exception to a lot of people that get into the nomad, um, uh, movement. There's a lot of what I call corporate escapees and then, a lot of them are like, why would you work at a co-working space, for example? You know, like people are trying to avoid that office environment. For me, I, I don't mind it at all. But I guess I haven't been stuck in a cubicle like a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've, I'm, I guess I'm a corporate escapee and I never yeah. really phrase it that way. But I like working at co-working spaces because I have the freedom to just pack up and leave when I, when I want and not yeah. have to explain it to my boss. Yeah. You know, like I don't mind having a proper desk with a nice chair, good internet, coffee, everything's kind of like nice. You know, yeah. I'm not like at a, this loud coffee shop where there might, might not be any power outlets or people are tripping over it. Yeah. And there's nobody to wash my laptop when I go to the bathroom. That's a big one. Yeah. So for me, I like organ spaces. And the reason why I like it is I have all the benefits, but because I'm my own boss, I don't have to deal with the BS of, you know, meetings or like, you know, talking to like a boss you might hate, but you have to, you know, be nice to them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I love all of that as well. Like, yeah, I'm, I I was just referencing a few people that I've met that are just like, they, I, I don't know, maybe they go to a co-working space and it just reminds them too much of an office and they've just been hating life for that long that they're like, anything that reminds them of, of an office is, is bad. But, um, yeah, I've been getting comment. I get comments sometimes like, why do you go f- to a co-working space? And, to me, the benefits are obvious, like what you've said, like, you know, if the the scene in Chiang Mai is great, you can go to a cafe and it feels like a co-working space at some of them. But like for me to work at a cafe here, I wouldn't want to like 
what like what do I do when I go to the bathroom and and like I don't want to be that guy who's like where's the powerpoints and what's the wi-fi password and and like let me set up this my desk on this small table and all that stuff and I'm quite particular with I think we both are with like whether the table is at a good height and and the seats are ergonomic and and we both use the roof stand and 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 that's important to me that's like a that's that gets me in the productive flow having that nice setup yeah i agree 100% so i'm i'm curious how did you get into youtube and what was that like yeah it was it was completely natural process to be to be honest i've been making films since i was a kid like making just videos i picked up a camera and was doing videos of family holidays and and stuff and just making little films with the family when i was when i was a kid and then i went into high school and did some of like the promo videos for sports and um actually finished first in my class for film which was a small class it wasn't too big of a deal but then after school it's just there wasn't that many i didn't see many opportunities for film and i was focused on i don't know going to university getting a job all that stuff and so that kind of video making just kind of lay dormant and then the thing that really got me into making videos on YouTube was just seeing like i was as i said i was obsessed with the digital nomad kind of idea of digital nomadism and then i love watching youtube so i went on youtube and i'm just trying to find videos on digital nomadism these kind of co-working spaces that i found really exciting destinations that looked really cool and i found there wasn't a lot of good quality content on that area and so basically that just the com- combination of me liking to make films me being obsessed with the nomad movement and then also seeing a huge gap there on youtube made me like really motivated to fill that gap and i was just going to vlog to begin with like just show people like look i'm i'm working my job but it's overseas like this is a real thing cuz some people it's like so far out of their reality and my first stop was bali and i and that's when i started to expand cuz i found all these cool co-working spaces that weren't being covered and started doing interviews started doing all kinds of things and what excites me and really drives me today is like the videos i create are like the first for many things like like for instance i was telling you about the how my newest format on my channel is the review videos where i'll go to a new destination and and do a review of the my experience as a digital nomad nobody's doing those videos like nobody's sitting down for 20 minutes and and running through the list of like co what 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 co-working spaces are available how much things cost what are the internet speeds at these co-working spaces what are the things to do what are the phone how much do the phone plans cost and how what gigs can you get and all that stuff um so i'm like i don't know if i would have been as excited to do it if like there was a channel like chris the freelancer already on youtube but i just saw like gee like i'm super excited about this let's make some videos and that's really cool and i th- it's it's almost kind of funny where i, I think it's weird that there wasn't a channel and no that nobody was really doing it before you or like i think a lot of people would have thought like johnny why didn't why didn't you do it and i don't know i just never did and you know all, and then all of a sudden i was like all right well chris is doing it so i don't need to do it anymore yeah you got to choose your well you don't have to choose but it's 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 about medium as well you know like i feel like i'm doing well on youtube but my other the other areas like the podcast i i stopped doing cuz it wasn't really i didn't feel like it was working as well as youtube and uh my blog as well is the traffic numbers are much smaller than youtube and i want to invest more in that and then my um email newsletter as well i'm not doing much with that so like i i really want to do a lot of different content but video is just that's the thing that i'm most passionate about and, and you're really good at it oh thanks like you re- <laughs> like you're really really good at it i was actually surprised cuz like when when you first said hey um you know do you mind if i film at the nomad summit i was like oh yeah go ahead whatever yeah. but i didn't really think much of it i thought it was going to be like i don't want to say some shitty blog shitty vlog yeah. but i kind of ex- you know just assumed it was going to be like a vlog and i was like okay you know do whatever you want to do but i don't like i don't want any i don't want to spend my time like helping you with it because yeah. it's just gonna be a vlog for your channel anyways yeah and then afterwards when i saw it i was like wow this is amazing this is like a little mini documentary yeah i try to do i'm i'm legit excited about creating the best 
pres- doing the best video I can and also like testing myself or trying new things as a content creator. And so with the event, I had this vision in mind that I was going to do like an event recap video with Vox Pops interviews, which is basically just quick interviews standing up with different people. And uh, yeah, I just, this is like, I can't explain it. I just have like this passion to create videos and um and i and i i really you know if there's i want to present it in the best way like um for instance i'm going to be doing videos on nomad city and and nomad cruise i'm going to be filming every day and trying to create something highly edited and just the best most engaging content possible i mean i could vlog do a daily vlog of the whole experience but to me it's more exciting to create a video that i would want to watch and get me excited and I guess my my key fan that I'm like trying to appeal to is myself. And I'm glad you're doing that because I hate vlogs. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that, but vlogs piss me off because when I search YouTube, I want to find good quality content that teaches me something. Yeah. And when I search something like, let's say, you know, cost of living in Las Palmas, yeah. I'll get these crappy vloggers that have a beautiful thumbnail and an image. So I'll oh, click yeah. it. And then it's always the same thing. It's always like this selfie vlog of like waking, you know, them waking up and say, and then like not answering the, the title of the, the vlog yeah. until like 18 minutes into like their, their day of talking about complete nonsense. Yeah. And I see why people watch it is because they kind of get tricked into clicking because it has this great thumbnail image. Mm. It's usually of some hot girl. It's, you know, <laughs> like it's good quality footage. And it's almost like a little soap opera. It's almost like they're mini Kim Kardashians. Yeah. And But for someone like me who actually wants the information, I'm like, this person put no thought into the title of, you know, this presentation until afterwards. They're like, oh, okay, let's just, you know, throw that up there just kind of for marketing purposes. Yeah, that frustrates me as well. And when I remember when I was doing uh, the video, How to Be a Digital Nomad, I watched some videos and that one of them was was a vlog. It was like the title was like, How to Be a Digital Nomad. This guy was just hanging out in Chiang Mai. And then he went to a, a coffee meetup and maybe for one sentence message like, Yeah, guys, so here you here we are. Like, this is how you become a digital nomad, you know, connecting. Like, here's everyone. And like, it's 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 10 seconds out of a, of a 10-minute video. And I have to scroll for that little tiny piece of value. So I was just like, well, stuff these guys. I'm going to come in here and with my diagram, sitting down with my computer and like do a, do a roadmap and, and map it out for people. Cause that, that's, that's the best way to present the content, I believe. And I think vlogging is one of those things where people do it because it's kind of quick and easy and there's, there's always new content coming out. So they, yeah. they feel like they're getting a lot of momentum real quick. But I think the downside of it is they have to continue that every single day yeah. or, they will lose their subscribers really quick versus with the videos that you make, th- those are evergreen. People will still yeah. find it a year or two, three years from now and they'll always, they'll share it. They'll, you know, they'll go back to it because it's actually good, useful content. Yeah. That's what I'm, I'm trying to do is, is create videos that will stay on there and be valuable to people. I actually don't watch a lot of vlogs myself and I'm not a big fan of vlogging. I don't necessarily see the appeal. Like you got these daily vloggers that film everything of their life and put it online and um maybe if you're watching that passively but i have a bit of a low attention span when it comes to these things so i want to be engaged straight away and so the the point of my vlogs is there's a point to them i'm never like you know this might change but right now i'm not really interested in putting out a vlog that's just like my day just about me just like me running my mouth I generally have a purpose to it. And when I started the vlog as the first format on my channel, it was all about like, I want to show people my life as I'm working remotely from different locations so that people can see it's possible. They see like, oh, there's the co-working space. So this is how I can live if I wanted to do remote work and travel. So like all my vlogs kind of have a purpose. And if you see like digital nomad vlog written on any of my videos it's because it involves remote work and i usually only make one or two per destination so that you can see like okay get an overview of like that's what it's like to to do remote work on that in that destination um but i'm not like 
that's why I would never like I I wanted I want to be able to daily vlog but like I just I have to create content that I would watch and I also don't want to put out crap <laughs> yeah and also well one of the reasons why I don't do more videos or a vlog is because I feel like I'm not in the moment and just enjoying what I'm doing I'm yeah. just filming to film or doing things just to get that shot and I know this is true because I've hung out with like some daily vloggers and they're so annoying to hang out with because the like they're not you know just there hanging out they're there making their video the whole time. Yeah, and on the and on the flip side as the vlogger yourself, I feel awkward as well like I like like the times that I want to share the most is when I'm with other people and having other people's perspectives on camera as well and then and then also showing people like the type of people you meet when you're when you're traveling and being a digital nomad. But like if I'm going to meet with new people or whatever, I always feel awkward about bringing a camera and even people I know um, bringing a camera unless they're like, I have a friend, Felipe, who loves being on camera. He, that's cool. Like whenever we hang out, it's like, yeah, bring out the camera. I want to be on it. But most people, it's, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a weird thing. And that's another reason why I couldn't like be a daily vlogger is like, it would just like make all your interactions with people just I don't know. Strange. I don't know how they get around it, to be honest. <laughs> I, I think some of those people are sociopaths. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I honestly, I honestly don't know how they do it. And maybe they just hang out with, hang out with other vloggers. So they're all got Cause I've, I watch, I watch a few people like, but I don't religiously watch any vlogs and they often hang out with other vloggers and they all got their cameras. So yeah. And then it becomes normal because everyone else is doing it. Yeah. So that's where it can become. I guess super socially acceptable if everyone's doing it, you know. But you know what? At the same time, I can't hate because there's plenty of people that like watching, you know, keep keeping up with the Kardashians. So I'm sure there's people that love watching someone's nomad life through yeah. a vlog or their vegan YouTube channel vlogs. You know what they ate every day. Yeah, vlogging is vlogging is just huge. And if you want to succeed on YouTube, if you can vlog, that's like the best way. On I, I believe because it's like. You got to be able to create consistently and keep people interested. What's the best way you can do that is make your life a channel because you're always with yourself. And so, like, your life continues. So, you can always make videos on your life. And, um, yeah, and, and depending on how good you are and how good your personality is, you can always keep people in, engaged through that. Um, like I've, I watched a few, I don't know if any, you've heard of Logan Paul, but this guy's like got 11 million subscribers and obviously people watch for his crazy personality. This guy is like, he's like so excited the whole video and he does this daily and I, I find it kind of exciting as well. I don't know how he keeps up that energy and goes nuts every day, but like if he can be him every day, then he's got the ticket to success. I mean, he's getting millions of views on every video. You know what's crazy to me is how many people with millions of followers or million views that I've never even heard of. Yeah. That just shows how big the internet is and how big the market is for whatever your personality is and whatever yeah. you're into. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, the internet's de it's democratized media, right? So... Rather than everyone sit down at 6 p.m. and watch TV and you all know the same dude, now there's like niches everywhere. And, and maybe I religiously watch Logan Paul every night or Casey Neistat and then you're watching somebody completely different. But there's room for so many people. There's not really anyone with, I think the person with the most amount of subscribers is, I don't know, maybe. PewDiePie. Is it like two, 20 million or something subscribers? 15 to 20 million or something? So if you think about it, like it's not everyone is watching PewDiePie. Like if you could compare a subscriber count to like, say, maybe like people watching The Tonight Show or something. If, if everyone's attention, everyone who like used to watch TV is attention on one YouTube channel at one time of the day, you know, 20, 15 million isn't that big necessarily. And a lot of people I've found subscribe passively. So you get people that subscribe and then maybe they leave YouTube or they don't check their subscriptions or whatever. So a subscriber to me is just somebody that expressed interest in watching more of it, you know? Yeah, I like it. So I noticed that you have an iPhone, but you also have an actual camera. Yeah. Have you tried making videos on just your iPhone? Like, what's the difference? Um, 
Not exactly. Like I have like with the review video format that I talked earlier about, that's like I film tidbits throughout the month and like mainly I'm filming things I eat just so that I can put the price next to it to show people like an example of what a meal would cost. So for that, when it's going to be on screen for like two seconds, I don't mind the lower quality from an iPhone, but I find the G7X, the Canon G7X, which I use, is just the most amazing vlogging camera in terms of like how affordable it is to get the camera, the stabilization, the autofocus, the auto color, the audio you get from it. It's almost foolproof using that camera. And definitely, definitely, um, there's some areas where you can use an iPhone. You know how like they have those ads, Apple has those ads and they go shot on iPhone and it's like this amazing image. I definitely say you can get amazing images on iPhone, but like in the perfect conditions. So like, say for instance, you want to film at low light on an iPhone at night, it's all grainy. It looks like shit. You can't see anything. Whereas that camera comes out and just totally knocks it, knocks it's not perfect either, but it's so much better than like iPhone 7 filming in, or iPhone anything filming in low light. And of course, you can go, you know, bigger than that, but it's compact, it's affordable, and it's just great for vlogging. Yeah, I notice every single vlogger, or at least like 90% of them use a Canon G7X. <laughs> yeah. Or um, I think the equivalent in Sony is like an RX100 or something. And I'm, so I'm holding it in my hand right now. It's It's not that big, so it could fit in my pocket easily. I think for me, I just don't like carrying any like anything else. And that's why I keep upgrading to the latest iPhone, just kind of hoping that the video will be good <laughs> enough. Yeah. But it's it's always behind the like an actual dedicated camera. Yeah, I um I have a, a dicky looking pouch that I keep on my belt and it's not fashionable at all, but I keep my camera on me at most times. Oh, is that what that fanny pack is for? <laughs> yeah. Um, and actually in London, I had to, Denise was like, you're getting too many looks, like you need to put it away. And I'm like, okay, I think maybe in the future, I might just clear one of my pockets and put it in a pocket or get some kind of case that doesn't look like a fanny pack. But I mean, it comes in handy today. You, you, we were doing a podcast interview for my podcast and you, and you gave me the idea of like, well, we sh- you should film your podcast as well. We, we, we wouldn't have filmed it if I w- didn't just wasn't carrying my camera on me and I'm always creating content. So yeah, it, it's good to have it there. I kind of learned that from Casey Neistat, who's a famous vlogger who uses the G7X. He like has it like, like a sidearm, <laughs> like right here, ready to go whenever he, so he has like a holster or how does that work? I think, yeah, I think he has some sort of holster. It's definitely more fashionable than that shitty case, um, that, actually denise my girlfriend bought for me i think it was like ten dollars or something it wasn't but yeah in the future i'm gonna have to figure that out how to hold a vlog camera and still be fashionable (laughs) okay i like it so any (laughs) tips to for people who want to start a youtube channel or want to start kind of this journey yeah so first of all i think getting your expectations in check would be the first step it's not that doesn't not the sexiest tip but like a lot of people ha- would say they're like, oh yeah, I, I want to do a YouTube channel or I want to be a YouTuber. Like I mentioned earlier, if you're looking for quick fame or money, then you're probably not going to succeed. You you actually have to like video is is probably like the the main criteria. I I, I think I think I have heard of one person in my network that does video does a YouTube channel that's just they found a niche and they pump out videos on it. Or, you know, maybe you do a YouTube channel and you're not the personality on it and maybe you outsource, like, the content for it. That's a whole nother thing. That's like looking at YouTube or building a channel as a business. But for a creator, an independent creator, you the, the passion is what's going to drive you and that's what drives me as well. And, yeah, like, I don't think equipment is that important people are still surprised on how the quality i can get on the g7x and if you don't can't afford a camera i would just get started on an iphone um, or whatever phone you have and i mean if you like we mentioned earlier with the the vlogging if you have a personality that you want to share with the world and people and you're happy to put that online consistently then like you have a good chance of succeeding but the biggest problem like that is going to stop hold people back from being vloggers is like having to force it you know like if you if this if the idea of like if you want to be a vlogger for example and the idea of 
doing a vlog every day and like putting on this zany personality or being, you know, fully expressive on camera is, is drudgery to you, then I wouldn't even start. So I feel like a lot of people that succeed on YouTube are probably in the same position to me as just it came kind of naturally. And so if like you get that calling to start, uh, start making videos and put it online, the biggest thing I'd say is like, you can never start too soon. So you should just like start today. Even if you just do one video, like you put out one video and it'll still get views. Like maybe even if it's two views a month, you're still getting like new viewership every month. So like, um, start as soon as possible because it, you can start building it straight away. Yeah. And if anything else, you're warming up your YouTube account yeah. more when you actually want to, to start making a lot of videos. Yeah. Cause I think that the, from a technical standpoint, the hardest thing when you're starting out is to just get some momentum to start from zero. Cause now when I put out a video, it's going to be seen by at least a portion of my subscriber base. And then they'll create the engagement. They'll comment, like watch it all the way through. And then that tells YouTube, oh, people are watching it. People are interacting with it and then they'll promote it. Whereas when you're first starting out on YouTube, you need to do a little bit of content promotion to kind of seed that. So if you can get started as soon as possible, even if you put out one video and like, and then promote it, you know, share it on Facebook. Like that's the simplest way to do it. Like make a video on YouTube, share it on Facebook. At least your friends who like you will be interested if it's about you. And then, yeah, just take it from there and don't be limited in terms of what you want to do and just whatever comes naturally is is usually going to work. So I think one of the reasons why I like your videos so much and I think the nomad community likes your videos so much is the fact that you are very level-headed and you're kind of very authentic and people can trust you. I think when you put out a video about digital nomadism, which some people, you know, I think it's kind of like a bat, like a dirty term almost. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people that they're like, oh, you know, being a digital nomad is a scam or online work is a scam. Yeah. I think on your channel, it's like, it's almost like they're a little bit more, ra- even the haters are a little bit more rational. Yeah. Where they're like, no, no, this is a scam. And then you'll reply very level headedly saying like, oh, actually it's not because XYZ. Yeah. Like, 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 what are your, what, what's your experience with that? Um, yeah, I had, I just, there's one comment that came to mind when you said that was like, Oh, Chris, you're selling, you're, you're promoting a lie. Not everyone could be a coder. And I'm like, I never said that. And I agree with you. And I'm not here to, I'm not trying to like make it seem better than it is. Or I, I'm not, I don't really, I'm not trying to convince anyone that this is for them. And uh, like, it's not a, I'm not trying to market the digital nomad lifestyle. I'm trying to promote it. And to me, the difference is, promoting it is just like just showing it off and you can decide whether you're interested in it or not i'm not going to dress up the negative aspects or, or like sensationalize the good aspects i'm passionate about it i share that passion with with people and like my whole goal was just to kind of if people are searching digital nomad stuff i want to be the one that shows up because i want to if i don't really and this is something that I've had to do kind of just to, to scale my channel is to try and reach people who have no idea what digital nomadism is. But I, I like the, the, the fans that are already interested and that I just provide the information to them and, and just, and just be the channel that I wanted. It just goes back to being the channel that I wanted to watch. Like I don't, I don't want somebody to give me false expectations or sell it to me. Just, just show me what it's like. And if I think it's amazing, I'll think it's amazing, you know? I still think the digital nomad movement, like, it definitely has its downsides, but I still find the whole, you know, not even my digital nomad journey, but, like, the movement of people itself is just a very interesting topic. It's part of broader topics of lifestyle design and, and kind of, and also, you know, thinking outside the box of the traditional job system, which a lot of people find unfulfilling. So I, I just want to be there to, to share the alternative. And I think my videos give people, because it's far out of the reality that they might be living in, it kind of gives them a gateway into it and kind of makes it a bit more real for them. But yeah, I've done a video on, uh, I don't know if you've seen my video, Life Outside of Niman. Yeah. I, I literally like this guy was like, you should just delete your channel, like digital gonads, you suck, all this stuff. And I'm just like, 
I, I gave him some airtime on my channel. I put it on my... I, I brought him on. I asked him some questions, let him share his viewpoints. I'm not afraid to share people who are negative of the of the lifestyle and share their viewpoints online. I don't say much negative stuff because I, I, I like it. But if people feel like there's a negative message that should be out there, come on board. That's an open invitation to anyone here that wants to, that's listening, that wants to maybe shed another part of the lifestyle. I'm open to sharing that. You know, I, I like that a lot. And I, and I think having you there, like as a level-headed person that's not telling them to, to fuck off or telling them that they're idiots, it's, it's much needed because they, they feel like they can actually like openly discuss, you know, how they're feeling with you and, and why they <laughs> feel that way. Yeah. You know, while with me, like it's, if I get a hater, it's always a one way conversation. Like they don't want to, he- they don't want to hear like even reason. They're, they're just like, no, fuck you. <laughs> uh, well, I have an, op- my opinion on what happens with you, you, you know, you get a lot of heat, heat. And I mean, people hate on you i guess they disagree with what you're doing but like disagreeing with somebody and what they're doing doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong it's just you don't necessarily like it and that often comes to a place of like hurt or maybe they're projecting negative stuff from their own lives and i'm not trying to say that they're completely wrong and they're all just projecting but like just a lot of people don't understand that like your opinion isn't gospel like it's not everyone hasn't their own opinion and, uh, you know, it's like me as well. Like some people have h- hate on me just because they hate the digital nomad movement. And cause I'm associated with that and I'm promoting it. They just by default hate me, but I don't take offense to that because I don't, I don't see any reason why they would hate me. Like why I'm doing anything wrong because what I feel I'm doing, I fully agree with. And I don't think it does anything wrong for humanity or, or it does anything wrong by people. And, you know, people might, like there's a lot of drop shipping haters out there and they might hate on drop shipping and then by association they'll hate on you but if you believe in what you're doing and you know you trust in that then i i don't think that you should take it personally you know and then if people hate you for your personality who cares <laughs> you know like that's you but like you know you can't please everyone i heard a there's a quote from Ty Lopez that's like if you're not pissing off at least 10% of your audience then you're not taking enough risks well, he's definitely pissing off more than 10% of his audience. Yeah. Uh. But so I, I can definitely see like where you're coming from. Cause I think a lot of people who hate on the digital nomad movement is because sometimes like they're stuck in their own life and their own job. Yeah. And probably maybe it, it isn't possible for them or not, not to say it's not possible. It's not, it's not easy. Like super easy for them. They might have yeah. a family. They might have bills. They might have. You know, a mo- like mobility issue or something like a reason why they can't leave the country and just travel. Yeah. So then they get mad at us because they're like, no, like, you know, fuck you guys. You make, you make it look so easy. And what I like about your channel is, you know, you really take the time to show them like, no, no, I'm actually sitting in an office working. <laughs> I'm not just at the beach every day. Yeah. And I don't think the funny thing is that people don't want to see me just hanging out, like living it up traveling. It's funny that my videos that where I'm like on a computer all day actually get more views. And my theory is, and anyone listening to this that maybe watches my channel can clarify. My theory is that, you know, there's a bunch of travel vloggers out there. People, you know, know they can save up money, go to a place, travel and see the, see the island. I'm thinking of less Grand Canary specifically, but see that place. But when they're at their job or maybe they're working on their online business or this side hustle and then they tune into my channel and see me on the computer in these this place where they want to be i think that they can that's more inspirational because they can kind of see themselves doing their online business from anywhere in the world or maybe they don't have a business yet but they they can see it they see the picture of what they they want it's not necessarily to you know go on a tour of some tourist destination but to be able to run their business from anywhere and so i find like yeah the videos of me like the digital nomad vlogs as i call them like the video the vlogs of me like working on a computer seem to do like the best yeah and i guess it's good to have that i think like i don't think i have ever recorded myself just working because i just feel like it's so boring like who's gonna want to watch it yeah. but you're right i think some people do want to see it you know yeah i think that's why like when i do <laughs> even like a photo of myself at a co-working space people are like i get a lot of comments saying like yeah you know you're, you're like grinding you're crushing mm-hmm. it 
Yeah, actually, funny you say that because I, I started doing what I call the office of the day photo. So, I will just take a photo of me at a, at a new space that I haven't taken a photo of myself at before. Put on the title, this is the office of the day, the name of the, the, name of the co-working space or cafe. Post it on Facebook. It's one of the, my most interacted with pieces of content on my Facebook page. And, you know, usually does better than posting a YouTube video and, and even sometimes does better than a native Facebook video that I've highly edited, you know, because it's, yeah, it's, it, it, what I do, I think people, some, some people just see it as travel vlogging, but it's not. If I just started doing travel vlogging, I don't think my audience would be too interested. I think they, they subscribe to get inspired to work remotely. Yeah, I like that. And it also really goes to show that no matter what, our our niches you know no matter what our audience is there's an audience and it's big enough now i mean the world was big enough there's how you know how many billion people now and the internet is is easily accessible enough where they'll find us and i'm sure my audience and your audience is a little bit different yeah definitely and but the people that like following my crazy antics you know are going to follow me and the people that like following your you know, less crazy antics, you know, yeah. are going to follow you. Yeah. And I think that there's no, there shouldn't be a competitive mindset in this space because like you said, like no two content creators are the same. And if we all create awareness around each other, you know, like it's not kind of taking away anything from any, any individual content creator. So like, say for instance, somebody comes, what stuff get is my channel is like a gateway for some people. And then maybe they're more interested in online business and uh, e-commerce and stuff like that. And they see you on my channel and then they go to your stuff and they're like, Oh, this is more resonates more with me. This is more what I want to know. And maybe the flip side. And I don't think that that has any negative effect on the individual creator. And if anything, there's a lot of people who are in the mood to to watch you know something about this topic mm-hmm. like i mean even like with podcasts like yeah. sometimes i'm just in the mood to to you know to listen to like joe rogan's podcast yeah. and hear a 3 hour long rant about <laughs> you know smoking weed and and ufc but then sometimes i'm not in the mood for that and i won't watch it i won't listen to it for 2 weeks while yeah. i'll i'll you know really want like a highly edited polished Freakonomics podcast or Planet Money podcast. But then I go back to Joe Rogan because I'm in the mood for it. And I'm sure a lot of people will jump back, you know, back and forth between like, like our videos or our content. You know, sometimes, sometimes people want to watch a really well edited video on Chris the Freelancer. And sometimes mm-hmm. people, you know, want to listen to a long podcast on Travel Like a Boss. Yeah. And then different and different mediums have different benefits and co- pros and cons. And so that's like uh, why I expanded into different content types, including podcasts and blogging. And I try to do something different on each of them. Like I don't just do a blog post and then a video and a podcast all on the same thing. And I kind of respect each platform and kind of what the, the best thing about it is. Like I was saying to you before about, um, doing interviews. I have interviews on my channel, but on my YouTube channel, but it's very focused on a topic because that's YouTube. You're going to try and, get people to sit down and watch it. But these podcasts can be very conversational because most people are walking or driving in their car or just chilling out and they can just like sit there and feel a part of the conversation and be exposed to different ideas. And and then, you know, the blogging is different as well. If you want to get real in-depth on information, blogging can be good for that. Yeah, it's like you guys listening right now are hanging out in Chris's studio apartment with us on the couch. (laughs) Yeah. And by the way, if you guys hear the difference in audio quality this week, it's because I'm locked out of my apartment <laughs> and Chris is at, uh, is at the gym with other keys. So Chris and Christopher and I are on our iPhones. So we, we're using two separate iPhones. I'm using mine. He's using his hmm. and our editor, Anthony, is going to sync them together. So hopefully it sounds good. And if it does sound good or it sounds good enough for you listening, this is kind of one of those big kind of takeaways where don't let equipment stop you from starting. So yeah. if you want to start a podcast and you think this sounds good enough, just do it on your phone. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah, if, uh, specifically for podcasting, as long as you get like isolation and you don't get that background noise, you know, it's gonna like people are still surprised that all my episodes are filmed completely on two iPhones. <laughs> yeah. So 
I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Chris, thanks so much for for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I I enjoyed the talk. Yeah. So I'm excited because we are going to be attending Nomad City this next week, which which is a bunch of events kind of throughout the week. What is it? What's, what's, what's happening? Do you know all the events? <laughs> uh, I can't list them off by heart, but there's a pre-event on Sunday that's like a scooter trip. And then there's surfing, hiking, and these are all on separate days. So it's like literally seven days of constant events. And then the final two days, I believe, or the, or just before that, talks and workshops. So that's like the more, um, where you'll learn more. But the rest is about discovering the island and meeting other people. So, yeah, I'll be making videos, so I'm really excited about it. So definitely subscribe to Chris the Freelancer on YouTube to check that out. And then immediately after that, you are going to the Nomad Cruise. Yeah, so it's going to be hectic for me. Yeah, seven days of continuous filming of Nomad City, and then I'm going on the Nomad Cruise, which for the, those of you who don't know, it's a chartered like cruise ship that we're going to have basically a conference on board. So there's going to be talks and workshops and stuff and just all people involved in online business and remote workers and stuff and, and just general nomad scene. And I'm really pumped for that. I'm going to try and make an epic video on that as well. So I'll be filming almost every day of that as well. So I'm going to be pretty busy over the next, what is it? 20 days creating, (laughs) trying to make a great video. Very cool. So if you guys are listening to this as as it comes out, you can probably still fly out here to Las Palmas Gran Canary, attend both. It's prob- is it nomadcity.com and nomadcruise.com or uh, nomadcity is .org. So it's nomadcity.org and I think nomadcruise is nomadcruise.com, but I'm sure you'll link it up, right? Yeah, we'll have it in the show notes uh, of the this episode and then if you guys don't want to fly out tomorrow to to Grand Canary. If you guys still want to come meet a bunch of nomads and do a bunch of cool events, the Nomad Summit is January 20th in Chiang Mai. And we're going to have a bunch of events the week before and maybe some events afterwards too. So that's nomadsummit.com. Awesome. And I think that's it. So uh, once again, check out Chris the Freelancer on YouTube and see you guys next week. Also, big thank you to everyone who's been leaving these great reviews on iTunes. If you haven't already, please, please, please go on the iTunes app on your computer or on your phone or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review and let me know. Shout us out on Twitter, Facebook, wherever you can find me online. Let me know so I can give you a shout out on the next episode. Peace out, guys. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.